and happy Easter. I know I've said it three or four times probably already, but I'll say it again, right? It's great to be with you. We are thankful that you're here, whether you're worshiping with us in the room, you're watching online, maybe you're listening to the podcast later. We are grateful that you've decided to spend part of what, like Pastor Andrew said, part of your Easter story this week here with us. And we hope that you enjoy the day. I hope whatever you have planned after, whether it's Easter egg hunts or really good food or whatever's coming next, that you just have an awesome time celebrating together. And the reason that we're here, right, Pastor Andrew said, we, we want to celebrate just like over 2,000 years ago, the sun came up on a Sunday morning and things were just different. And one of the things that we say here at GFC, and I've said it before and I will say it again, is that we exist to establish people on the foundation of Jesus. We don't exist to establish people on the foundation of the Bible or on the foundation of church or on the foundation of a pastor or on the foundation of whatever else you could put in there. We exist to establish people on the foundation of Jesus, and that's what we get to celebrate today, and that's why we are here. And so if you're paying attention to what's on the screen, then that says uh, the problem of Jesus, and so that seems a little weird because I just said we establish people on the foundation of Jesus, and then we're going to talk about the problem of Jesus. Well, here's where we're going, and here's what I want to talk about today, and we started some of this conversation last week. We started this conversation in understanding that if Jesus, if today means anything, right? If Easter actually means anything at all, then that actually does create some tension and some problems for us as people that we have to understand and deal with that sometimes we don't want to understand and deal with. And so the problem that we talked about last week, or one of the questions or things I said last week, was that the reality of Jesus creates a personal problem. And if this is your first time with us, or you're just checking us out for the first time, or it's your second time, whatever, and you missed last week, you always go back Watch on YouTube, listen to the podcast, you can get week one. But here's where we went in week one. We talked about the fact that sometimes when we accept the reality of Jesus, we have to look at ourselves and say, if he was really the savior that came for sinners, guess what? I'm in the sinner camp. And nobody likes to be in the sinner camp, okay? I would rather be known as someone who just makes mistakes or someone who uh, does accidental things. I don't want to be in the sinner camp. And yet, that's the reality that we have to understand And here's the problem that I want us to think about today, is that you cannot be neutral on the resurrection of Jesus. You know, I've been around in ministry and having conversations with people long enough to know that sometimes you have conversations with people and you say, well, what do you think about the resurrection? And someone just kind of goes, you know, I don't really know what to believe about that. Because sometimes what's true is you look at the world or you just look at, I don't know, our culture or just what goes on around us. There's a lot of people that believe this really happened. I mean, that's true, right? There's just, there's people in churches all over the world today that are going to say this is true. There are people that maybe even aren't in churches that are going to say this is true, right? This is just, there's a lot of us that believe that this actually happened. And so when you look around at that and you look at the way that that has changed the world over time, there's some people that would say, you know, maybe there's something to that, but I'm, I'm just not sure. Because the other side says, no one comes back from the dead, <laughs> So if someone passes away, we don't expect to see them tomorrow or next week or next year. And so there's some tension here. And so sometimes what happens is we get stuck in the middle and we go, you know, I don't really know what to do with that. I'm just going to kind of maybe just not pick a side, right? Switzerland, just going to be Switzerland for a little bit. But here's what I would say. We cannot be neutral on this fact. Or if you think it's not a fact, you have to pick a side. Either it happened and you were going to live your life in light of that, or it didn't happen and you're going to live your life in light of that. But you've got to pick a side. There is no middle on whether someone came back from the dead or not. There's no middle on that. 
And so if that's the case, we have to choose what side we are on. And I'm going to challenge us to do that today. But there's one more question I want to ask, and, and we can all kind of internally process this. And that question is, what has shaped your perception of Jesus? I know it's Easter. I want to talk about Christmas, Christmas for a minute. Is that okay? It's like eight months away, just to freak you out for a second. But Easter, we're here on Easter, but I want to talk about Christmas. So here's why I want to talk about Christmas for a minute. On Christmas or your birthday or whatever, right, we've all received gifts. And usually, when you receive a gift, it is in wrapping paper, right? Now, sometimes you might walk into a room and it's just sitting there. If you're really lucky, you walk outside and look at the driveway, right? And it's just sitting there like, that's kind of cool, right? I'm getting a lot of this, right? You're like, yeah, that'd be cool one day. Those commercials with the bow on the car, I want that to come true in my life, right? So we ha- that happens sometimes, but many times we get handed a gift and there's wrapping paper on it. Here's what I would say happens with Jesus sometimes. Sometimes we are handed Jesus and there's a certain wrapping paper on it. And that wrapping paper then becomes the lens through which we see Jesus. Now, I'll admit, I'm doing that a little bit today, right? The angle I'm going to have this conversation in is a little bit of the way that I'm going to talk about Jesus today. It's the way that I'm going to hand you Jesus. The church down the street is going to do something different, or maybe the way that you were raised would do something different. And so I admit, there's that personality and aspect of things. Anytime someone introduces you or talks to you about Jesus, the problem is when that wrapping paper becomes the lens through which we see him. And the problem is sometimes that happens when we're handed Jesus as a kid. Uh, If you grew up in church like me, your parents or a pastor or a coach or somebody came along and handed you this or, or something like that. And then that version of Jesus doesn't hold up over time. And you get to a point where you would say, that Jesus I was handed years and years and years ago or the person I believed Jesus was is different than the person I was told he was. And so now this doesn't work for me and that tension causes us to go away from Jesus. And here's what I want to say today. What we want to do is get rid of the wrapping paper and see the risen Jesus for who he is. Because if your wrapping paper or your lens through which you were handed Jesus is getting in the way, get rid of it and just think about Jesus. He's the person that we have to know and understand when asking this question of whether the resurrection happened and if it has any bearing on our life at all. Now, I want to take a minute, and I want to talk about another really famous person for just a second. Now, this person, I don't think anyone in this room has ever seen this person. So this person was around kind of a long time ago, not super long ago, but he's not alive anymore, okay? But here's what I'm willing to bet, and I'm not really a betting person, but I'll bet on this. I would say 90, 95%, maybe more people in this room will know who this is when we put this picture up, okay? So go ahead, Patrick. You can put the picture up for us. Someone tell me who that is. Babe Ruth, okay? Now, if you don't know who that is, Google really quickly, okay? You'll figure it out, right? Babe Ruth is a really famous ball player, right? Now, he was a really, really good ball player. He's got great statistics. People will argue whether he's the best to ever play or not, right? And even though he played almost 100 years ago, we all know who this is for one reason. Either you like baseball and you just understand that part of the game, or you've watched The Sandlot, right? And so you know, if you've never watched The Sandlot, that's what you should do during Easter dinner today, okay? Just go home. It's a great summer movie. Just go watch The Sandlot, okay? So if you, if you understand baseball at all or you've watched The Sandlot, you know who Babe Ruth is. Now, Babe Ruth, again, really good ball player throughout his career. But there's one day that sticks out when you think about Babe Ruth. It was 1932. The Yankees were playing the Cubs at Wrigley Field. Babe Ruth goes down 0-2 in the count. 
and he seemingly points to the outfield and hits the next pitch for a home run where he pointed. And that moved him from really good ball player to legendary ball player, to the point where I'm pretty sure, I know it's true for me and every kid I've ever known that has ever picked up a baseball bat or a softball bat at some point, whether you're playing wiffle ball or whatever in the yard, like you, you hold up that bat and point, and then you try and hit the next pitch where you point it, right? Again, 90 years ago, and I still like think that. Like if I, if I go home and my son and I are going to play ball, I'm probably going to go like this and then try and hit his next pitch as far as I can just because I'm that kind of person, right? We know who he is. Why? Why did he become a legend? Because he seemingly called his shot, and then he accomplished it. Here's what I'm going to say about Jesus. He actually did that. And there is some discrepancy on whether or not Babe Ruth actually called his shot that day. Did you know that? There are people in that space. The catcher says he didn't do it, right? Of course, the catcher would say that he didn't do it. Babe says he did. The people on the stand, they're not sure. Here's what I would say. Jesus called his shot. I want to show you where. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 16. And by the way, you can open a physical Bible if you have it. You can open it on your phone. Um, Cool little thing we have, especially if you're new and you haven't done this before. There's a little QR code on the back of that Next Steps card. Um, If you scan that, it's going to take you to our follow-along page. There you go. You can scan on the screen too. It's going to take you to our follow-along page. Like, what's the follow-along page? Well, it gives you all the notes, all the verses, um, and you can actually ask a question. So if something I say today just brings up a question that you want to ask, you can send it there. It comes right to me. Um, Or you can submit a prayer request. So it's the best place to kind of follow along with everything I'm going to talk about today. So Matthew chapter 16, we're going to start in verse 21. And if you uh, don't quite get there, we will have the verses up on the screen for you. As well. So Matthew 16, 21 says this From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. Now remember, this is before Jesus is arrested, before he's on trial, and before. He is crucified, and yet he tells the disciples and his followers that this is going to happen. He actually called his shot. Now, I don't know if Jesus and Babe Ruth have anything else in common, right? But this is part of the story. If the guy that seemingly raised from the dead could actually say he was going to do it, and then he was going to pull it off, that's pretty good evidence, it's a pretty amazing thing to see. But guess what? We have to ask why. Why would seemingly God come down in the flesh in order to call his shot that would be heard around the world, right? Still impacts us here today. Why would he do this? There are two verses I want to look at. They'll be up on the screen too. Mark 2, 17 says this. When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people do not need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. This is back to our conversation last week, right? He says, if you think you're good enough to get to God, then we've got a problem. If we think that we, as humans, who do things wrong, who make mistakes, who who accidentally do things right, none of us would say we were perfect. If we think that we are righteous enough to gain access to a holy and righteous and perfect God, we've got a problem. We can't be with him. We have to find ourselves in the sinner 
category. And so Jesus says, I call those who recognize their inability to reach God and would accept the fact that they would call themselves sinners. There's another verse, John 3, 17, right? Comes after one of the most famous verses in all of scripture. John 3, 16, then he goes to John 3, 17. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. So why would Jesus do this? Because we couldn't do it ourselves. And there was only one way for this to be true. Now, Here's the real question, right? I've set this up. We know why Jesus came. I'm saying he called his shot. But here's the thing, right? People can say a lot of stuff. They can claim they're going to do a lot of things. And then if they die and never do it, guess what? Their word means absolutely nothing. So what's the question that we really have to answer? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? And can we honestly, truly, reasonably believe that this happened for him even though it happens with no one else we've ever known. And I want to go to that account on that Sunday morning in Luke chapter 24. And we're going to start right in verse 1. It says, But early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. Now, let me pause here. Let me just give you two little bits of information from this verse. This verse gives us a lot of information in that little bit of time. First of all, recognize that it's women going to the tomb first. Second of all, they're showing up expecting him to be there. Here's what that means. First of all, the fact that women are the ones to show up first and their account is the one that we're given to believe first is proof that no one would have told this story as a lie. Because back then, and it's not, this shouldn't be this way today, and it's not. But here's the thing. Back then, a woman's testimony didn't hold up in court. And so if you were going to lie about this, and you were going to tell a story that never happened, why would you have someone come whose testimony didn't matter? They're telling the facts. Here's the other thing. They don't think he's going to be risen. If you're telling this story and it's not true, why in the world would you write the story to look like you didn't know what was going on? You would have written this story and said that there was a, everybody would have showed up on Sunday morning for that empty tomb and celebrated when Jesus walked out of it. But no one did that. None of them, even though they heard what he said in Matthew 16. Let's go on to verses 3 and 4 from Matthew 24. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. Verse 5, the women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? Verses 6 and 7, he isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee. Remember what he said, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day, verses 8 and 9. Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what has happened. So Luke, who, by the way, was a doctor, writes a book to tell people about a person who rose from the dead. And he gives us this account. Now, I'm going to do a very quick, this is, this, we could, I could have a conversation, if you know me, I could have a conversation about this for hours and hours and hours. I'm going to give you just five reasons we believe Jesus actually rose from the dead, okay? First of all, Jesus was killed by the Romans. The Romans didn't kill somebody every once in a while, Okay? This was something they did 
all the time. And they perfected the art of crucifixion. Why? Because crucifixion wasn't just a death sentence. It wasn't just something where you were convicted of a crime and then all of a sudden you were dead. That wasn't the point. The point was to put you up so that other people could see you. You would be shamed and they, you would be a deterrent to anybody else that ever thought about doing something wrong under the Romans' watch. They, they left you up there and, and showed everybody what happens when you cross us. And not only that, they also knew how to do it so that you would last long enough that it was also torturous and agonizing. And they never made mistakes. They knew how to kill people. So some people will say, well, what if Jesus actually didn't die? What if he passed out? What if they just thought he was dead and they put him in a grave and then like three days later he like woke up and was all good? Listen, if the Romans weren't good at killing people, they weren't really good at anything. They knew how to do this. They would not have made the mistake. Here's the second thing. No one has found his body. At some level, at some point, the disciples, who were also, some of them, tortured and killed for the truth that they were speaking about Jesus, would have said if they stole the body or it ended up somewhere else or something happened, right, they would have said, this is where we put it. Just stop torturing me. Stop. I, I don't want to die for this. I know where the body is. Here's where it is. Somebody would have spoken up and told people where he was because they knew it wasn't true. But to this day, we don't know. There is no body. Number three, many people saw Jesus before his death and after his resurrection. Listen, people knew him. He was around his followers so often, all together. He was healing people. He was feeding people. He was a public figure. He had thousands of people around him all the time. And then they watch him die, right? It was a public trial. They knew what was happening. He walks through the streets with his cross. And then they watch him die. And afterward, he appears to these people. These are all the same people. It's not somebody else that maybe they thought he was Jesus and he really wasn't, right? Now, there are times right after he rises that people look at him and they don't quite realize who he is. But then you think about Thomas, right? And he says, I won't believe it until I see what? The nail holes in his hands and his feet. And he comes and he sees Jesus and he believes it. Those people that were around Jesus knew who Jesus was. Four. The only tomb we have is empty. Now, there's actually two options. There's two tombs that kind of claim to be where Jesus was laid, but here's the one thing they have in common. They're both empty. There's nobody in it. And so, again, we don't know where the body is. The only tombs we have are empty. Here's the fifth thing. The church was founded and grew under immense persecution. If we were to go back and we were to read the whole crucifixion account, here's what happens, right? The Jews and the Romans work together to get rid of Jesus. Neither one of them wanted him around. They worked together to get rid of him. And then three days later, after they think they've accomplished it, they have a big problem because all of a sudden, the guy that they killed publicly and put in the tomb, that tomb is empty, and people are saying he's alive again. If you're Rome, if you're Rome you would look at that and go, this is a very big problem because this makes us look weak. The same was true for the Jewish officials. We thought we got rid of him. We wanted him gone. So here's what happens after that. They both try and squash the church. 
we actually, if you go back to our series where we talked about the seven churches in Revelation, we see that. We see that persecution when Rome and the Jewish leaders were continuing to work together to get rid of it. And yet, even though all of that persecution was coming, one of the most powerful empires ever to be on the face of the planet wanted to get rid of the church. It still continues to exist. Now, here's the thing. I know that I just ran through a ton of information. And if you have more questions about that, I'd love to have a conversation. But all this is to say, there is more evidence for Jesus rising from the dead than not. And people will argue that, and that's okay. But there is very good reason to believe that he rose from the dead. And here's what I also know, right? Events change the course of history, and they change the course of our day. Whether Jesus actually rose from the dead or not, his life has changed history. We have hospitals, some hospitals, because of the fact that Jesus lived and people followed him and thought that was a good idea. We have colleges and seminaries because of that, right? The Ivy League schools, by the way, they were founded out of a Christian movement. We have nonprofits that take care of people. It has changed the world, just the fact that Jesus was around. But here's the thing, that's going to change history. That maybe changed the course of our day. But here's what I believe to be true. The resurrection should change our lives. If it's true, that changes the way we see us. It changes the way we see other people. It changes the way that we interact with who Jesus is. Remember, we go back, right? Not the Jesus that we were handed in the wrapping paper and the lens we see him through, but the real Jesus that we see in scripture. Who is the Jesus we see in scripture? Well, if Jesus rose from the dead, it means everything he said is true. And the inverse is true. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, it means everything he said is not true. That we can leave it behind. It doesn't matter. But here's the thing. If he did rise from the dead, these three things are true. First of all, we need a savior, right? Remember, we gotta, we're in that sinner camp. We don't like that. But it's true. The second thing is that he's the only way to God. There is no other way for us to get there. We can't be good enough. We can't, uh, we can't pay enough money, right? We can't do any of that. There, he's the only way. And the third thing is so very important, that he loved us enough to die. That he recognized all those things are true. He realized we were helpless. He realized we couldn't do it. He realized we weren't good enough. And he still decided to show up and die the worst death imaginable just because he loved us. Here's one thing that I've realized over time as I've studied this that I think is incredible. Jesus knew the way he was going to die. He knew that. He knew that before he ever created us. And you know what he still did? He still gave us the ability to feel pain, knowing full well that it would be used against him in his crucifixion. That's love. That's why. Even when he knows he's going to step into that terrible place, he understands everything that's going to happen to his body and everything he's going to feel because he created it. And yet he was still willing to go there for us. But Jesus never says it's going to be easy. Jesus never says, watch my example and then it's going to be a cakewalk for you. It's not what Jesus teaches us. In fact, he teaches us that there's still going to be difficulty in life, that life here as a sinful person, even when we know Jesus, is not going to be perfect. And he spells this out a little bit for the disciples. In Matthew 19, I think this is so interesting. In Matthew 19, verses 23 and 24, it says this, Then Jesus said, 
to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, even if you're talking like the smallest camel you can find, right? Through an eye of a needle is not going to happen. Now, if you've been around and you've been a part of the conversations we've had recently this year at GFC, you know that I say when you see the phrase rich people, we should take a look. Now, if this is your first time here, here's what I'm not saying. We don't think we're all rich and and everything like that, but here's why. I just say when we see that, we understand as Americans, we're in the top percentages of people that have what they need in the world. So when we see something about rich people, we should kind of perk up and go, what's Jesus saying? Because when you look at the scope of the world, we fall into that category. It says it's so hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? And this is the trap we get into. Because we can provide what we need. And so when we look at God and we go, you're going to show up and tell me I'm not good enough. I can't do it. I need to do something for you. I don't need that. I have what I need. I can provide for myself. I can accomplish the things I need to do, right? Very American sayings, right? Like, I can do it. It's, I, can, I can step up. I can pull myself up by my bootstraps, and I can do this. We don't like this. And Jesus says it's so difficult. And the disciples' response to this is very interesting. In verse 25, the disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved? They get it. They're like, you're talking about a camel and an eye of a needle. That's not going to happen. So does that mean everybody's out? Like this is impossible for everybody. Nobody is going to be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. And verse 26 is so important. It says, Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Listen, that's the gospel. As humans, impossible. Impossible for us to have a relationship with God. Not even close. But... With God, with Jesus, everything is possible. That he would show up, that he would do the work, and then say to us, we can come. If there's one phrase or one sentence I want us to walk away from today with, from, sorry, walk away from today with, it's this. The price I couldn't pay is the debt I will never owe. Jesus says we couldn't pay the price for our sins and and fix the gap between us and God. We couldn't. And so what do we do when we can't pay for stuff, right? We take on debt. I have a mortgage. I didn't have the money, all the money to buy my house when I bought it, right? That would be great, but, you know, that's okay. I take on a mortgage, right? And I say they pay the price, but guess what? The mortgage company is going to get theirs, right? It's not like it's going to all disappear one day, and I, I, like, I'm going to pay them every month. I'm going to, even though I couldn't pay that price that day, I will pay the debt. Here's the thing with Jesus. Even though we couldn't pay the price, we'll never pay the debt, because he's going to take on that cost. He did take on that cost, and when he died, the cost of all our sin just went away, if we just decide to believe that it's true, and it's gone, and we will never, ever see it again. You know, Friday night, we were here for Good Friday, and I shared a little bit about Peter, and Peter's one of the coolest characters in Scripture because he's such a fireball, 
And then he realizes every, almost every time Peter talks, it's like, Peter, stop talking. Like, you just say things that you shouldn't. That's like probably me, like if I was in the story. And he writes this later, right? First Peter 2.24, this is what he says. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, we are healed. Now, what's so important is when we look at the people that were there with Jesus and that give us this story, this account afterward, they don't just look at us and say, you need to do this. They look at us and they say, we believe it. We, I, Jesus took our sins in his body. That's what happened. Peter's including himself. And he says, you need to understand that. I understand it. I was there. And you need to see that this is true. So the question is, did Jesus actually rise from the dead? And is all of this true? Why? Go back to our problem for today. You cannot be neutral on the resurrection of Jesus. Now here's the thing, right? I know, let's go back to the wrapping paper idea for a minute, right? I know that sometimes we get handed Jesus in a version we don't like. There's people that look at Christians and they do not like the version of Jesus they see. And there are people that have given us Jesus or introduced us to Jesus in a certain way. And as we've gotten older, that doesn't exist for us anymore. And that's a problem. And there's tension in who Jesus is. And I'll say it again, right? We can't be neutral on the resurrection. Don't let somebody else's perspective or somebody else's view of Jesus change yours. Here's what I know to be true. I heard someone say this a few weeks ago, and I loved it. The rest of the disciples didn't walk away from Jesus because Judas betrayed him. So when somebody else, whether it's a pastor or a person or a parent or whatever, like if they show up and they walk away from Jesus, don't just walk away from Jesus because of what somebody else did because somebody else decided to, because somebody else believed it wasn't right for them, because somebody else has said something. You've got to be sure, we've got to be sure, all of us, that we're walking with and worshiping the resurrected Jesus from Scripture. Otherwise, other perspectives are going to get in the way, and we're going to be worshiping something or following something that was not real. The last story I want to talk about before we wrap up today is, um, I heard there's a pastor named Alistair Begg, Maybe some of you have listened to him. Or if you haven't listened to him or, or heard anything from him before, he writes well. You should listen to him because he's got a fantastic accent. Like, and just listening to him talk is really, really cool. And one of the things that as I was watching some things and studying, he told this really cool story. And just from the perspective of um, one of the most interesting characters in Scripture are the guys that were on the cross next to Jesus, right? There was a guy on either side. They were thieves, and in the conversation, some of the accounts, what we see is those thieves are actually making fun of Jesus. At one point, one of them says, if you are the Christ, then why don't you save yourself and take us with you? Because in everyone's mind, if you were a Jew at the time, like if the Messiah, the Christ, shows up, he's not going to die. Like there was an upward trajectory. He was going to show up, he was going to establish a kingdom, and he was going to set them free from Rome. That's why so many people left, is because when Jesus starts talking and he starts going, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to, I'm going to die. This is a problem. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be killed, right? And then it actually happens. People go, clearly he wasn't the Messiah because this is not the trajectory we thought he was going to take. And what they didn't realize was it was exactly what he had to do for them, and they just didn't realize it yet. But one of those thieves that's next to him 
eventually looks at Jesus and says, you clearly are the Christ. Remember me when you enter your kingdom. And as Alistair Begg was talking this through, he's like, I would love to talk to that guy and what it was like when he showed up at Heaven's Gates. Because minutes later, he's right there, right? And imagine, right, we don't know this, this isn't in the God, but like imagine somebody shows up and goes, hey, how'd you get here? And he just goes, I don't know. Right? Like, I, I'm, I'm not really sure. They're like, well, what, how did you learn about this? He's like, I, I, I don't know. Like, I just, I died and I'm here. And they look at him and they go, who told you you could come? And he just looks at them and he says, the guy on the middle cross said I could be here. And that's all it took. Never went to church. Never went to Sunday school. Never went to seminary. Never got baptized. None of it. Jesus just says, you can come. And that's what he does for all of us. And there's nothing that we can do, right? We get stuck sometimes in the wrapping paper. We get stuck saying, oh, but I can be good or I can do this or look at the way that I read my Bible or how much I pray or how much I do. And Jesus just goes, none of that is necessary. Yes, they're good things, but they don't get you there. What gets you there is what I've done for you. And as Alistair Begg wrapped this up, he said, listen, as we think about that, if our answer when someone says to us, how do we know we're going to heaven? Or if you get to those gates and they say, how did you get here? And we start the phrase with I, we've missed it. The phrase is Jesus. That's the only answer that we can give. Not what I've done, but what he did. So here's where I want to land today. And I, I want everybody, everybody in some way, right? I'm not going to ask you to get up. I'm not going to ask you to do anything like weird or anything like that. But I want everybody to respond today because here's the last question that I want you to think about. And, and the question is this, does my life clearly portray resurrected Jesus? Because again, I'm going to say it. Too often we use Jesus and, or, or we worship Jesus or we think about Jesus and it's not just specifically the Jesus that we see resurrected in scripture. But that is who our faith is founded upon. And anytime anything else gets mixed in there, it's a problem. We need to know him. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, if that's your claim, the question is, does my life clearly portray the resurrected Jesus? That's the question. And if it doesn't, then what are we going to do about it? How do I need to change? How do I need to do something different? The question is the same if you've never decided to follow Jesus before. Now you might say, why would I want to look like the resurrected Jesus if I don't believe this is true? And I would say process this for a while, but if your life did look like the resurrected Jesus, would that be a good thing? Or a bad thing? Because I believe if you look like Jesus, it changes the world. And none of us will ever be as good as him or look exactly like him. But it will change us. And so here's what I want you to do. There's a few ways to do this, right? And what's going to happen is the band's going to start to play. And we're going to give just a couple of minutes to think and process this before we sing our final song. We have these physical cards. If you would like a physical card to, to respond on, 
and just to write down, does my life clearly portray a resurrected Jesus? Now, maybe you need to process that and say, here's how I need to do that. Here's how that's not happening, and here's how I want to do that. Or maybe you just need to take this card or text yourself or fill this out online, and maybe you just need to send that question to yourself. So that when you wake up in the morning and you go to the mirror or you get in your car or you get to your office, you just see the question, does my life portray a resurrected Jesus? Do I look like the Savior I claim to follow? And so you can do that on this physical card. There's some space here to write. If you want to write that down, take it with you. You can use this again. You can go to the follow along page and you can fill out a next steps card online. You can take the notes and you can email them to yourself. So if you just want to write that question down or respond there and email that question to yourself, you can do that right on your phone. Or if you just want to text yourself, write it in your notes app, whatever. Does my life portray a resurrected Jesus? And if not, how do I fix that? Now, if you are not currently a follower of Jesus, and you would like to become one. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to pray. And I'm just going to include that prayer in the prayer that I pray. And I just want you to respond the same way. So everyone's going to be writing something down. Everyone's going to be texting themselves or whatever they're going to be doing, right? You just do that. And if you would just take this card or do it online or, or whatever, and just fill in that circle that says, I made a decision to follow Jesus. And just let us know. That goes to me. And I'll know. And I'm not going to spam you. I'm not going to anything. But I would love to know if you made that decision. So whether you are here in the room or you're watching online, you can do that. But what I don't want is I don't want any of us to walk out of here and just go, Easter was nice today. That was fun. Check my box. No. I want us to process this and say, I got to live like the Savior I claim. I got to look like the resurrected Jesus. I need other people to when they look at me to see the resurrected Jesus. Would you pray with me as we wrap up today? Jesus, we're grateful that you saw us in our sin and you decided to come anyway decided to take the punishment that we deserved. And I pray that that would sink into everyone's heart and mind right now. And that it would not just be an event that changes history, but that it would be an event that changes our lives. And we would recognize the love that you had for us. And that if we just believe it, all of our sin, all of our shame is gone. And we get to spend eternity with you. Lord, I pray for anybody that's here that hasn't made that decision yet. That they would, I don't know, that you would move in them, whatever that means. And they would make that decision. If that's you and you're just thinking, whether you're here in the room, you're online, you're listening to the podcast and you haven't made that decision and you want to, here's, here's what you have to do. I, I just want to lead you in a conversation with Jesus. Nothing magical about this prayer. There's nothing specific that I'm going to say that's going to magically get you into heaven. It's just a conversation between you and Jesus. And just in case you don't know what to say, here's, here's what I would encourage you to say. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know 
that I've done things wrong. And when things are done wrong, when I am guilty, I know there's punishment for that. And I believe that you took that punishment for me. I believe that you rose again. And I want to live my life to follow you. I want to look like the resurrected Jesus. If you prayed that prayer, like I said, we're going to spend some time responding. Just take that card, get on your phone, fill out the card, let us know. Because we'd love to walk with you through that decision. If you're not sure what to do, if you do a physical card, take it to the boxes, take it to the next steps desk, and just leave it there. I'll get back to you. For the rest of us, God, I pray that you would lead us to a space. If there is something that we need to get rid of or we need to start doing to reflect the resurrected Jesus to people around us, I pray that you would make that abundantly clear. And I pray that today wouldn't just be a fun holiday. I, I, I love that we get to celebrate it and there is fun in that. But I pray that this would be a moment that we remember and we make the decision not to look like ourselves, but to look like going to take a few minutes and we're just going to allow the band, they're just going to play and we can respond, whether it's on your phone or on that card. Send yourself a reminder, write yourself a note to look like the Jesus you claim as your Savior.